This passage that was just read for you is a true treasure of the Scriptures. And it's a treasure, it's beautiful, because it brings to us with great clarity one of, one of the central blessings of the Christian message, of what Jesus came doing. How sinners like you and me can be forgiven by God and made perfect in His sight forever. It brings crystal clear clarity to this, to forgiveness. Verse 14, the key verse. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the central blessing that the Bible offers us, or at least one expression of it, how sinners can be forgiven once for all. And this passage particularly just has this sharpness about it, it has this clarity The author is at pains to make clear to us how we can be forgiven, how it's once for all. And it is the case that it's not always clear to us. It is interesting that the thing, the, the chief thing that the Bible is trying to put before us, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus, is often unclear for us. Our forgiveness, though it's clear in the Scriptures, our sense of our forgiveness is often unclear for us and there are a whole host of reasons why we might not be clear. Let me give you a few of them. We're conscious of sin in our lives. Many Christians are all too aware of the sin that plagues them, which leaves them feeling guilty before God, unclean, unworthy, unforgiven. And so, like little kids lugging around big, heavy school bags, we feel burdened, we feel weighed down by our sin, and it leaves us feeling like, has God actually forgiven me? Perhaps there are those sins from your past, perhaps they're not even sins you're stuck in now, but there is that thing that you know you've done, and it haunts you, like a ghost that just follows you around, like a lion that's just prowling, waiting to jump on you, remind you again and you're reminded and it comes conscious in your, in your consciousness, in your mind, in your heart and you wonder, am I forgiven? But two, we can, we can compare ourselves with others which leaves us feeling unsure and unclear. Uh, we look at other people, other Christians around church and we think, I'm just not like them, I'm not holy and righteous like that person is and so we question our own forgiveness. Does that, if I'm not like that, does that mean that God's really accepted me? We're unclear because sometimes we're not actually clear what the Bible teaches. Uh, perhaps you're new to the Bible or you, maybe you have grown up in, in churches but you're aware that there are different churches around and they teach different stuff. They teach the Bible differently, they teach how you get forgiven by God differently and so there's the church that says forgiveness is achieved by Jesus, it's done and dusted but then there are the churches that say, no, you need to do stuff to get forgiven, to secure your forgiveness. You need to go to confession. You need to receive Holy Communion, the Eucharist. And you need to do that so that you continually be fed and connected to Christ. Perhaps you've been from a church that says, you actually need to have a particular experience of the Spirit so that you can be sure. And without that particular experience of the Spirit, you can't be sure of your standing before God. And so there's all these different teachings around. And so which one is it? Perhaps you're not clear because you're you're new to the Bible 
and you've just started and you thought, I'll start reading from the start and you get to Leviticus and it says, you've got to do all this sacrifice stuff and then you get to Deuteronomy and there's all these laws, there's something about a parapet, what's a parapet? But then you hear Hebrews read for you because you were listening so intently when the Bible reading happened and you see that verse 5 says, sacrifices and offerings the Lord doesn't desire. Well, which is it? Do I have all these sacrifices and laws I've got to keep or does the Lord not accept and desire sacrifices? So, what's the deal? And then, of course, there's that persistent onslaught of the message from the world that says you don't have to be a Christian, you know. You don't, have to be a, you don't have to trust in Jesus to be forgiven by God. That's not the only way. That's narrow-minded. Don't think like that. And so, there's all these things, all these reasons which can cloud forgiveness for us, take away that sharpness, that crystal clear clarity. And so, let me ask you tonight, don't answer out loud, but are you forgiven by God? Are you forgiven? Are you clear on your forgiveness? If this roof, though it's got such great structural integrity, I'm sure, I'm confident, but if this roof were just to collapse in on us now and crush us all and send us straight into the presence of God, would God accept you? Can you, can you sit there right now and, and with confidence say, yes? God would accept me. Are you clear? Well, let's get clear tonight because this passage is at pains to make it clear for us. And I want to say that there is a danger for us, there is a danger for us who go to church, who, it's quite a danger that we could do the church thing, be involved in church groups, read the Bible, do this stuff and if you're not clear on your forgiveness, it's quite, it, it's possible that you've not actually understood the message of the Bible, that you've not understood Jesus. Because forgiveness of sins is at the very heart, the very centre of the message of the Bible to us. And the great blessing is that when you grasp that, when you truly grasp it, that is the most wonderful blessing that you can have in life, to know deep in your heart that God accepts me, God has forgiven me, I am His, fall on me roof, I'm ready. <laughs> That's the wonderful blessing that the Bible brings to us and so let's get clear tonight. And the way that this passage brings such clarity is what I want to call by giving a negative lesson and a positive lesson. It gives a negative lesson saying that you can't get forgiven by God like this and it brings a positive lesson saying, but here's how you can. And so, what I want to do is take us through those negative, that negative positive lesson and then apply it to us. So, that's the shape of tonight and so first, the negative lesson, how you can't get forgiveness. You can't get forgiveness through the Old Testament law and its sacrifices. Pick it up right at the beginning of our chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. 
The author here is speaking about the Old Testament law, its rituals, its sacrifices, the, and he points out what it can never do. And he doesn't use the language of forgiveness of sins, but he does use the language of perfection. It says that it can never, those sacrifices can never make perfect those who draw near to God. Now, perfect here means more than just faultless. It means more than that. It means reaching the place that you need to be in, being complete and ready. And so, if you want to run for a marathon, to be made ready, made perfect for a marathon, means to be in perfect physical shape to run that marathon. He's perfect for that marathon. He's ready. He's complete. The author of Hebrews here is saying that the Old Testament law system could never make you complete and ready and able to what? To draw near to worship. Now, why? Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These sacrifices, they don't deal fully and finally with our sins. And you can tell this is the case because every year, the Day of Atonement and every week, they had to just keep offering the same sacrifices for sins. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. See the problem? It's impossible for these sacrifices to make us fit and ready and complete and able to worship God fully, finally. They don't cleanse us from our sin. They can't take away our guilt. They can't take away our guilty conscience. All they could do was remind you. You know, put that in your calendar, an annual reminder. Oh, sinner, you're a sinner. You need a sacrifice. You can't draw near to God. That's all they could do. This is the negative lesson which the author is drawing our attention to and the original hearers of this letter really needed to hear this negative lesson because do you remember they were under pressure from the world around them to go back to the Old Testament way of doing things. So they were thinking, should we go back to the law? All my buddies are still doing that, that's what everybody in the community is doing, that's going to be easier, we're going to escape persecution, maybe it still works, maybe we'll go back to the law and he says, no... It's impossible for that way to take away your sins. It can't clear you of your guilt. It doesn't bring forgiveness. Now, I doubt any of us are thinking, how do we go back to the Old Testament sacrifices and where's my goats at? And... But there's a really important implication for us from, from this. And the implication is, if God's Old Testament covenant system didn't work... If God's system for forgiveness like this didn't work, then no other religion works either. Because the Old Testament covenant is the greatest of religions. It is the perfect religion. It just doesn't work. It's, per- it's, it's the greatest religion because it's from God. God gave Israel the sacrificial system, the laws, the rites, But He didn't give it to them to achieve forgiveness, He gave the Old Testament law to them to teach them the negative lesson that religious rituals can't perfect you. He was teaching the world that it can't work like this. 
religious rituals cannot save. They can't perfect you for relationship with God. They don't deal adequately with your guilt and your sin. And so, if that's the case with the old covenant religion that was given to the world by God, how much more all the other religions out there? How much more Islam and and Buddhism and, and Hinduism and None of them can work either because they are all do religions. Do you remember this from a few weeks ago? They're all the different things you do to try and make up for your sins and make yourself perfect for God. So it's the different sacrifices or rituals or prayers or pilgrimages or good deeds or doing enough with charity or, and if I just do these things, I'll make myself perfect, I'll make myself fit for God. But God, in His immense wisdom and mercy, has given the law to Israel and the sacrificial system to Israel in order that the whole world would learn from their experience. Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, have you ever tried to make up for your sins somehow, to try and make yourself fit and able to be in relationship with God? Have you tried to add a little bit of religion into your life or to do a little bit of charity work to try and... It doesn't work. You're just going to sin again next week and doing that little thing isn't going to cover what you've done up over there. Religious rituals just don't work. You're just going to have to keep making up for it again and again doesn't work, negative lesson learnt. And so, what's the positive lesson? The positive lesson is, Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice brought a once-for-all forgiveness. It's done. (laughs) See, God knows this problem, that's why He gave us the Old Testament covenant, to teach us that lesson. God knows the problem and it's His will to fix it. So, verse 5, Therefore, because that doesn't work, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, speaking to God, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, God. Using these words from Psalm 40, Jesus says, God didn't want and desire sacrifices for His people. That wasn't the shape of relationship that God desired from us, just for us to be slaughtering goats. And God wanted a once-for-all cleansing for His people so that we could draw near to Him forever with a clear conscience. And His will to do that was to provide the perfect sacrifice in Jesus. And Jesus came to do that will. And by that will we are made perfect forever. Verse 10, by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. A single sacrifice, not bulls and goats endlessly repeated year after year, a new body, a new goat, a new... No, one sacrifice on the cross, He has made us holy he has set us apart from God, for God. He's cleansed us. He's washed us. He's taken all those sins that you did all that time ago 
and he's laid it on Jesus and paid for it completely. And all those sins that you will do into the future and those ones that you're stuck in now, and he's dealt with it completely. He's wiped them clean from us. Because unlike the old covenant sacrifices, this is a once-for-all deal. This is an all-in. Go all-in and get it done. Unlike the old covenant sacrifices, Jesus didn't offer an animal body for human sins. Jesus offered His human body, verse 5, a body you prepared for me. Jesus offers His human body so that He could be the perfect substitute for us, standing in our place. And more than that, What Jesus offers, it's not this thing that needs to keep happening year on year, this is a once-for-all, eternally sufficient sacrifice. Now, this is a little bit mysterious, but it's an eternal redemption because chapter 9, verse 14, He makes this offering in the eternal spirit. And chapter 9, verse 24, He's entered into heaven itself to become an eternal high priest. And so, this redemption... You don't need to do that on the Day of Atonement next year. This is an eternal redemption, an eternal once-for-all washing. So much better is Jesus' sacrifice, the author, because He wants us to be clear, He underlines it by comparing the Old Testament priests with Jesus' priesthood. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties Again and again, He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, He sat down, He's not standing up, performing again and again, He sits and He sat down at the right hand of God and sits that time, He waits for His enemies to be made His footstool. Jesus' sacrifice is finished you don't need to do it again next year, it's done, He's sitting down, there is nothing left to deal with. And so, the key verse, verse 14, for by one sacrifice, He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Perfect forever. Now, Aussies are very quick to say, no one's perfect, And we say that, I reckon, so that we can kind of get away with not being perfect. No one's perfect. Ah. But what does verse 14 say for those who are in Christ? When it comes to approaching God, those with trust in Jesus are made perfect. We are qualified you are qualified for relationship with God. You are fit for it. You're ready for it. Because in Christ, we are cleansed of our sin. We are holy and blameless in His sight. Because Jesus dealt with it. If He didn't deal with it, we wouldn't be holy and righteous. We wouldn't be fit for God. We wouldn't be perfect. We'd have to keep sacrificing bulls but He dealt with it. It's dealt with. Now, the author, again, he wants his readers to be clear on this. They're thinking, I'm going to go back to sacrificing bulls. It's going to be easier. I think it works anyway. I'm going to get forgiveness. And he's saying, no, 
And he wants them to be clear. And so he does something very clever in verse 15. These guys are thinking, we're going to go back to the Old Testament way. He does something very clever, therefore, and he goes, let me show you that this was God's plan. God didn't swap plans. He was teaching a negative lesson there. I'm going to show you that the Old Testament itself says this. And so he picks out Jeremiah 31, which foresaw what was going to happen in Jesus, to bring, where God will bring about this new covenant, this once-for-all forgiveness. So verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies. He, first he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The point? The coming of Jesus put an end to the sacrificial system. It didn't work. But through Jesus' sacrifice, God has brought about a once-for-all forgiveness. The forgiveness that He desired for us to have, so that we might know Him, so that we might draw near to Him so that we might come before God knowing that we're accepted, knowing that we're loved by our Father in heaven, so that we would no longer have our sins severing us from our relationship with God. Your sins don't sever you from God now. Jesus dealt with it. And so, verse 17, their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. You see the great blessing of the Bible, the work of Jesus, our great High Priest, who gave Himself for us, who sacrificed Himself for us. We've now heard the negative lesson, and we've heard the positive lesson. The Old Testament didn't work, Jesus what worked. And so what I want to do is step back again, and I want to ask you that same question from before. Are you clear on your position before God? Are you clear that you are forgiven of your sins? Or can I, to use the words from verse 1 and verse 14, have you been made perfect for relationship with God? Can you use that language confidently of yourself? Though you are a sinner, though you struggle with sin, when you think on your standing before God now, does your heart warm with the knowledge of His love and acceptance of you? Or are you still fearful and anxious and weighed down by guilt? Which one is it? Are you unsure and unclear? I think we often can be. And what I want to do now is is apply what we've heard now of this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus to some of the common reasons we might not be sure. And so first... You're unsure whether you're forgiven because uh, you've not been taught the Bible clearly before. You've not seen what the Bible teaches. And this comes in all different guises according to our church upbringing or perhaps our, our lack of church upbringing. Perhaps you've been in churches where they've read the Old Testament in the same way that they've read the New Testament. And so you do read those sacrificial laws and the law systems in the Old Testament and you read them as if what God said to Israel, He's saying the exact same thing to you. Now, the Old Testament is God speaking to us, 
but he's speaking through the negative lesson. The old covenant doesn't work, guys. That's the message that he's speaking to us. Or he's speaking through the, the system the, as a way of a shadow to, to for, for you to see Christ into the future, the reality of Christ. And so, chapter 10, verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. So, when you read the Old Testament, what are you reading? You're reading shadow. You're reading a shadow, an outline, a picture, a sketch of what Jesus brought. They're the movie trailer compared to the actual film. And so, when you read Leviticus with its instructions about slaughtering bulls, you don't read that and think, I need to slaughter bulls to get forgiveness. What we do, rather, is we hear God speaking through the shadow and the shape to say, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice that you need. See this one, how it doesn't work? See how I'm preparing this for Jesus? Look to Him for your salvation. It's really important that you get clear on the shape of the biblical narrative. There's the first reason. Others may be unclear about their forgiveness because you've been taught by other churches that religious rituals are still necessary for your forgiveness. There are priests, there are ceremonies with bells, there's confession, there's even a sacrifice using bread and wine. I'm speaking here about the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I think it's worth me stating here that the official Roman Catholic doctrine is at odds with the Bible's message at multiple points. It teaches that in the Eucharist, what we would call the Lord's Supper or Communion, the bread and the wine are literally transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. And for that to happen, you need to have a priest. There has to be a priest there. Uh, And by this priest praying a special prayer to God and lifting up the bread and the the wine, the the Spirit transforms the substance of the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Jesus... And the, the priest represents the sacrifice of Christ before God. Now, the Catholic Church will insist that this is not a re-sacrifice. It's connected to that same sacrifice on the cross. But it is a representing, a reenacting, a renewing of the sacrifice so that it might be effective for you and your forgiveness. But even putting it like that, it's still really clearly at odds with Hebrews. See, is Jesus' sacrifice finished or is it unfinished? Was it once for all, such that you can't repeat it in church week by week? Or does it need to be renewed and represented before God week by week? Has Jesus sat down at the right hand of God or does He need to be represented before God as a victim? Does his body need to be represented over and over again, week by week? And do we really need another priest? Or was Jesus' priesthood perfect? Do we really need another priest who, verse 11, day after day, Sunday after Sunday, stands and performs these religious duties? 
Or was Jesus' priesthood perfect and complete? Such that from now on, verse 17, their sins and their lawless acts, I'll remember no more. See, verse 12, even more than this, is very clear that Jesus' human body is currently at the right hand of God. It's not present in local churches all around the world in the form of bread and wine. And He will come to earth again, but chapter 9, verse 28, it's not in the form of bread and wine. He will come bodily again to bring salvation for those who wait for Him. Friends, the result of Roman Catholic teaching is that we once again find ourselves in due religion, in perpetual religious rituals and ceremonies. And so, taking our focus off the once-for-all forgiveness that Jesus bought with His very own blood, we become conscious of our sins again. And so, I need to go to church and I need the priest to be there and I need the bread and the wine and I need that sacrifice reapplied to me so that I can be wiped clean once again. Uh, We're back on us, we're back on do. And so, every time we we sin, uh, my guilt wells up, my conscience is burdened, the heavy school bag comes back on and I'm weighed down and I need to go and do that and then I'll... (sighs) There's a very funny South Park episode about this, but you shouldn't watch South Park. (laughs) Chapter 10, verse 14, by one sacrifice, He is made perfect forever, forever, not till Tuesday, forever, those who are being made holy everybody who's been made clean before God. So, you don't need another priest. The pastors in this church, we aren't priests. Jesus is your priest. We don't need another one. We don't need another special sacrifice, another renewing of the sacrifice, even for the sins that we commit whilst we're Christians. This is a once-for-all forgiveness. It's finished, it's done. And so, if you've, if you've grown up being taught this way, I hope you're seeing from Hebrews 10 what's clearly taught in the Bible. You can have a once-for-all forgiveness. And so, the key question is not, have I done enough religious rituals or good things to be forgiven? The key question for us is, am I trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus for me? There's another reason why we may not be sure whether we're forgiven and among us, I reckon it's probably the more common one. You're conscious of your sins. You sin and so you feel guilty of your sin and you wonder whether you still are guilty of your sin before God and so you carry your sins in your gut or like a little kid carrying that heavy school bag. Now, we need to be really clear on this. When Jesus, when you trust in Jesus, His sacrifice wipes you clean of your sin, past, present and future. You are once for all cleansed and forgiven. You're perfect for relationship with God. You're holy in His sight. But that doesn't mean we still don't still sin. We still do. See, I am made holy to God I have even, I've even had His laws written on my heart now, verse 16, it is my desire now to please Him, He has worked a change in me but I still carry around this sinful nature and so, chapter 9, verse 28, 
I'm still waiting for Jesus to come back and fully and finally get rid of all my sin in my body and renew me. But in the meantime, until that happens, I still will sin. The great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, said that Christians are simultaneously righteous and sinners. Simultaneously righteous, perfect in God's sight, made holy, cleansed, forgiven, and yet still sinning. Just by the by, tomorrow is the 505th year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the door in the church in Wittenberg, which kicked off the, the Protestant Reformation, where people started seeing this stuff clearly again in the Bible and so split from the Roman Catholic Church. Not desiring to split, desiring to reform, but there was a split. And so, should someone who trusts in Jesus still carry around their sins like a heavy burden? Should your conscience still be plagued by guilt? And should you be fearful and anxious about whether God will forgive you? No. God says to us, verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I remember no more. You shouldn't. You don't need to carry them around. Now, should you feel guilty when you do sin during the week? Well, there'd be something really weird if you didn't feel like sin was a bad thing. If you didn't feel sorrow and remorse and even guilt at the fact that you'd done that because you've displeased your father. But that's very different of feeling guilty to the point of wondering, am I no longer forgiven? Does God no longer forgive me? No, when you, when you do sin and you do feel sorrow and remorse, you get to come back to the God who's already forgiven you and approach the God who has forgiven you with confidence that He has forgiven you. It's once for all, it's done. Now, there's this great old Christian book called Pilgrim's Progress which I didn't bring. But it's a story of, uh, it's a big analogy of the Christian life. And the main character is a guy named, what's his name? Christian. Christian. And it's, it's an analogy of this guy, Christian, who he lives in a town called the City of Destruction, and he hears a message preached to him, that judgment is coming upon him and all his city for their wicked deeds. And so Christian goes on a, a journey to the celestial city, to try and find forgiveness. But along the way, he develops a heavy burden on his back and it weighs him down and everywhere he goes, he carries this thing and it's his guilt before God. And there's this beautiful moment that I wish I could read to you, where he comes, he walks up a hill and he looks up and he sees the cross. And at that moment, it says that his, the boulder, the burden, falls off his back, rolls down the hill and falls into an empty grave. And at that moment, he, it recites words from Hebrews 10, where he looks to the cross and the burden of his sins is gone and he knows that he is forgiven. He knows that he's cleansed. And he rejoices that God remembers his sins no more. 
and the weight is gone. Do you know that experience where you've looked to the, you've felt the burden of your sins, but you've looked to the Saviour's cross and you've felt those, that burden roll off your back, roll down the hill and fall into an empty grave? Such is the blessing of what Jesus brings us. To be clear and to know in your heart, I'm forgiven by God, I'm loved by God, despite all of what I have done and am, I'm loved, I'm forgiven. Do you know that experience? It's God's will that you know this forgiveness, that you would come to Him and be forgiven and be made perfect to draw near by the blood of Jesus, because it's done. And you can be clear on that. Now, very, very, very briefly, just to, to speak to two different crowds and then I'm done. If you've been unclear before tonight, but you've heard tonight from the Bible that you can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus once for all, if that's you, come to God with your sins, repent of your sins, say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, and say, God, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf. Let that sacrifice cleanse me. And may I be cleansed once for all and eternally forgiven. And so look to the cross and have that burden roll down the hill into the empty grave. And Christians, rejoice that you're forgiven of your sins. What a beautiful and blessed thing to know your acceptance before God. That sin from your past which still haunts you and makes you wonder, has God really forgiven me? take it to the cross, look to the once-for-all sacrifice and remember your forgiveness in Christ. And when you do stumble, which we all will, because we're simultaneously righteous and holy and we're sinners, when you do stumble, repent, say sorry and then look again to the cross and remember that God remembers your sins no more. So don't keep carrying around that burden because the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus has once-for-all brought forgiveness.